You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. Well, on today's podcast, I'm very pleased and quite honoured to welcome Diego Argada, and he is actually from Argentina as part of our International Architects series. Diego, welcome to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's a, it's a real pleasure for me to be here in your podcast, sharing thoughts about architecture. <laughs> Diego, you will have had quite a different upbringing and, and childhood compared to a lot of our listeners. I'm wondering whether you can just talk to us a little bit about growing up and what influenced you during that time. I guess I was thinking about the similarities between Argentina and Australia. I think that there are a lot of common things. We have winter when you have winter and we have summer when you have summer. You know, the, the countries have been colonized by Spain in our case and the United Kingdom in, in yours. We have a, a, a very present geography and landscape, some local cultures that still exist and we, we interact with. So I, I imagine, I don't know Australia, but I imagine we have a lot of similarities in terms of the cultural background of the countries. My childhood was here. It's very common that you are born in a place, in a city, and then you study and live in that city all your life. You don't move around very much. So I basically studied school here and then I continued architecture education in my city. Eventually I did a master's in the United States. But since you are very rooted in in your place, you really, I think you really get to know very well your climate, your construction techniques, the materials available in your area. You're very familiar with everything that surrounds you, your, your place. And I think that I can say that that probably is, is, a, is a characteristic of studying here, you know, of growing up here. You really get to know your place pretty well, your landscape pretty well, your neighbors, your codes, your, you know, everything that is related with culture in general and architecture in particular, because you are basically, basically located in one place all your life. And Diego, how did architecture come to you? What sort of led you down that profession when you were growing up? Well, it was like some kind of affinity, I guess, with everything that had to do with field spaces at any scale, small or big, a fascination with that, even though if I never had any relatives or parents architecture related or friends, I would say, I was very much seduced by all that, you know, the seduction of the objects, small objects and the space between them, the ways you can get raw materials and build something. And eventually I had a very good friend, high school, who whose father was an architect. And I, I enjoyed a lot going to his house, looking at the models. I really enjoyed. I had a sense of what it, the profession was thanks to this friend. And eventually we enrolled in architecture uh, together as friends. Now we live somewhere else, but that's how I, I think that's how I got into the discipline. 
Amazing. And what motivated your decision to go to the United States to do your master's? Well, I would say that we have a very good professional career in Argentina. It's, you know, it's very oriented toward building when you, when you uh, graduate. It's not that strong in things related to theory, maybe. So I wanted to reinforce that aspect, maybe. And also, this has to do with I was previously telling you, you know, since we tend to be a lot of time in, uh, in your place, I always had the feeling that traveling allows you to see your place better. You know, they, what you, they always say that to see your own house, you have to cross the street. Mm -hmm. So uh, in a way, of course, it's a great way to know other cultures and other perspectives, but it's also a great way to see your own place with, with a different distance, with a different perspective. I, I always had clear that I want to come back and, and practice in Argentina. So it was something like the end of my uh, studies, my formation, thinking that it will give me some more tools, in maybe in the theory front. And I really appreciated my, my place much better once I came back. With, thanks to that distance that allows you to see things better. That's a beautiful way to say that, Diego. I've never thought of it like that. What were some of the biggest differences that you noticed when you went to New York to study, just from, a, I guess, from an architectural and space perspective? Here in Argentina, this is very related with reconstruction. Everything is kind of solid. It, it lasts a, long, a lot of time. Architecture is kind of a slow thing that uh, is built very heavily with bricks mainly, mainly because we here in Argentina, you know, the, one of the main landscapes are the pampas, which are basically mud and straw. So that's that's what we have. We have the, all the material for, for building bricks. And that's our, it was our main means of construction for a long, long time. And in the United States, I came to know all the light construction, you know, the wood, wooden frame, uh, steel frame, all the things that here, since we don't have forests in, in my area and steel is kind of expensive, it, they were very foreign to my uh, knowledge. You know, they, they were kind of new. And this contrast between heavy heaviness of architecture as I knew it and the lightness of the case study houses, the wood construction, I think that was a very interesting contrast in my mind from taking into consideration from where I came and, and where did I go? No, I went to the West Coast, to Los Angeles to study, and they also have earthquakes there, so they have a, a different um, kind of requirements in, in that sense. But basically, I was amazed at, that everything was made out of wood and uh, drywall and glass and metal, and that was very different from what I was used to. You've touched on it a little bit, and I've actually been to Argentina for our honeymoon, I think it, now it's 17 years ago. But in Argentina, could you describe what a typical family home would be like? What, what would that look like for those people that, that haven't been to Argentina? Well, we have a, a very big percentage of the population that live in cities. cities in, I'm going to talk Argentina is, is really big as Australia. Maybe Australia is even bigger, but Argentina is pretty big too. I'm going to talk more about my region, which is the Pampas, Argentina, uh, Rosario, Buenos Aires, the, the central area. It's very flat, very mild weather, and basically no geographical accidents. You know? It's all mm -hmm. flat. Our cities, 
they they come from the Spaniard colonists. They, they, they have a very rigid grid, square grid, very boring in a sense, but works very well with this abstract landscape in a way. And these blocks, square blocks are subdivided in very narrow plots. And the typical, I would say the quintessential house is a, a narrow strip that goes between two other houses. They share a party wall. And basically, they, they all share a brick party wall and they have another brick wall in the middle of the lot. So half cover and half is a patio. It's like, it's like half of a, of a Spaniard house, half of a Roman house, I would say. That's the traditional flesh of all our cities. There are infinite kind of houses like this that, of course, have been replaced in the last decades for modern approaches. But if, if I had to... Talk about the typical way of living. I would say that's it. You know, it's here. It's called a sausage house. It's like a continuation of room after room after room that get into the interior of the block. Lately, as happens everywhere, and also, I would say, as as a result of also American influences, people have been abandoning the city to live in the outskirts in houses that are detached, in small plots more related to nature. And of course, the city itself has houses are giving place to medium-rise, low-rise housing complexes. So people don't share the connection to the ground anymore. They live in flats, as in, a, in any dense city. But I would say that everything starts from that square blocks that share party walls between lot and lot. And I would say that's still a lot, a lot a big, big percentage of the population living in those kind of houses, urban houses. Diego, how many people would normally be in those houses? Is it just one family before or is it multi-generations? I think that nowadays it's, it's, a, it's a typical family, you know, with a couple of kids. But it's not uncommon that sometimes, you know, the, the grandparents, some of them live with them. I would say that's not, that used to be very common, maybe not now anymore. And mainly people that move to flats that are, are much smaller, have a, a minimum required amount of rooms and, and dimensions because of cost mainly. Mm. And that, of course, prevents from big uh, families uh, of living together. Diego, when we were looking at your experience, you're probably one of the most awarded young architects that we've interviewed. And I just wondered what impression winning the Fulbright Scholarship and a lot of those awards that you received when you were younger, what impact that had on your ambitions and the way you wanted to design? I don't, I don't really know. I think uh, it, they helped me, you know, get some kind of validation, I would say, in, in, in society in a way. I don't want to put it very in a very potential way. But when you're young, you know, people don't know you basically and they have their good reasons to, to not trust, I would say, in you at first. No? And these awards, they definitely give you some kind of validation. They help you to be taken more seriously or, or to be trusted more. And I think that that's a nice aspect of this, this award that I think they are helpful in, in that way. Other than that, I don't think they mean that that much. If we moved now to your brick house project and we talked a little bit about 
brick. Could you just describe the brick house and how it came about, some of the constraints that you had to design to? Well, the brick house was conceived after realizing that, as I was telling before, in our cities, we share party walls all the time. And there's a requirement that makes it mandatory that the party walls have to be made out of common bricks and load-bearing capacities up to 12 meters. No? This is the logic of you know, saving materials, sharing a wall between two neighbors and using it as, uh, as a separation and as an enclosure and as a structure. So we, we know we, we face that condition in every project we do in the city. So we decided to explore it further, you know, like saying, okay, we always have to deal with these party walls, these brick party walls. Let's see what else is there, you know, brick is the oldest construction, means the most widespread in history. And, and the challenge was to see what, what else can we take out of that, maybe with contemporary thinking or technologies. So that was, I would say, the idea that uh, fueled its concept. So we basically took this material and tried to achieve as many things as possible with it. We said we, we will... Of course, we'll try to make it enclosed spaces. It will be our structure as well. It will be the finish of the house. It will be its decoration. It will give a clue on how the apertures and the windows should be. So we tried to take this material and make it work as much as possible for us. So that's why we, we, we really uh, look at the wall, at the load-bearing wall, try to came up with strategy to make apertures, removing bricks to make light in and out, and basically try to achieve as many things as possible with this material and construction technique. But it all goes back to our local city condition of mm. mandatory load-bearing brick walls. Thank you for repeating that because it's actually something that isn't used in Australia that brick walls have all of these structural capabilities and yet now they're more used for cladding and decorative where they could be used for load-bearing walls. Is that, I know it's in your region, is that a widespread constraint though or is it just in particular regions? It's very widespread in, in Rosario, in Buenos Aires, in Cordoba, in places that we have no earthquakes at all. Yep. And basically, it's the, the material that we have under our feet. It's very widespread. It's very inexpensive in a way. And there's a lot of labor that knows how to work with it. So it has a lot of good aspects about it. Furthermore, I would say that in our weather is, is quite humid and it ages very, very well. So there are so many good aspects that make it almost impossible to replace with with something else. You know? Of course, when we use it as a load-bearing wall, there are a lot of restrictions. There are many things that you cannot do. You cannot do cantilevers, you cannot do big openings maybe, or you have to, to uh, think about other strategies to solve those issues. But we took that as a, as a constraint. We said, okay, we, we will go along with the material and we, we will try to use it as it is meant to be used. Mm. Uh, this particular project it's 
it was very challenging because people are now they're not so used to to work like this. They they will have independent structure in many projects. So it's it's faster in a way. This was a little bit slower. We were afraid that it could be too expensive, but it wasn't because we basically solved everything with one trade, <laughs> one material. So that made it possible to save a lot of money. And we were, of course, very interested about the architectural potential of expressing, you know, the sensitivity. It, it, we're pretty sure that it will give the architecture a very unique condition or, or sensitivity, you know. Diego, it's such a beautiful design. And one of the things that when I look at it, there's a lot of intricacy in the craftsmanship. Were there, you mentioned there were a few challenges. How was it in terms of achieving those sort of beautiful, the hit and miss and the aesthetics around that with the brick layers? Did that involve a lot from yourself or did they understand the design? Well, it's, this project is very modular, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's related to the brick module. It's a very intelligent module, the brick as we know, and we, we basically module the whole house, its bases, its heights to the brick module. So whenever we had to change every anything, we have, it has repercussions in all the house because you change something here and everything is connected by its modular logic of the brick model. So that was a challenge. We managed to solve it, making a, a digital model of uh, a parametric model of, of the facade. So whenever we change one dimension of the brick, it will actually automatically actualize the whole facade in a way. We we could be very precise about the thickness of the of the bond and how that would impact. The, in this way, we were, we try to use a very contemporary technology as, as parametric software in order to help us understand better this design and, and, and make it, make it faster to represent it. When we had to build it, we couldn't really show it to the, to, to the people who were building it. It was, I felt it was too complex. So we just showed them the horizontal layers of the bricks day after day okay. so they didn't have to think about the whole thing they were just thinking about the specific position of the brick they were putting you know and then the house eventually emerged as a whole but we didn't really we came up with that, that construction technique instead of showing them the facade we showed them plans horizontal plans day after day look easy and when they were building it but then when they saw what they did they were kind of surprised and of course they were seeing it as it, as it was being erect, but since we had we had it in a parametric uh, model, we and we could slice the model horizontally. We came up with this kind of construction documents that were kind of also invented for this specific project or adapted for this project. And Diego, how long did construction take? It was about I would say two years uh, construction. Yes, two years construction. For the clients, when you proposed this idea, what was their initial reaction? This house is for myself, so that's how I managed to reuse this concept, originally rejected for myself, which I love. So uh, <laughs> it was a very good chance when the opportunity uh, arise to use it. In a way. I love that. Diego, 
In terms of doing that brick house and then obviously going on to some other projects like open house, how did that project change your approach to bricks? Has it impacted your future designs? Yes, but of course, when you get involved so much with a construction team, you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it made me think everything with brick. You know, I really think that every project has to has to have its internal logic very clear, and, and the house has it. It's you know, you set up a logic, and you its internal logic it works very well and it's very clear and it makes a lot of sense, but. When you move to another area, another country, another climate, another local condition, you have to understand that new condition and then naturally the projects are different. You know, it yeah. helped me a lot maybe understanding the internal logic of a project and how material, structure, enclosure, everything works together. But not so much in in the sense of saying, okay, now from now on, I will do everything with brick because sometimes <laughs> it makes sense. You know, you have to be smart enough to know where where it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it makes a lot of sense, and sometimes it doesn't. Would you mind just taking us through talking about your open house because you did use brick in a different way for this project? I, I think you're talking about this this small low rise. Uh, project yes. I call it the uh, studios. The, the open house was an event where this project was featured. I call it, you know, the, the studios building because it's made out of small studio spaces, but it's also for architecture studios and things like that. As I was telling you, you know, this this old one-story uh, city that is made out of uh, load-bearing party walls is giving place to a, to to a taller city of buildings of you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten stories, and of course there the load-bearing walls are not applicable anymore. They would be too thick. So these new buildings are, are, are regulated to be built with concrete structure, an independent concrete or steel structure. But concrete is most common. So in, in this building, we had to change the construction technology, I would say. So it has a concrete structure and it's covered or enclosed with bricks with, with, a, with a very common kind of wall here there is it's a double wall with ceramic bricks in the interior which are for the interior partitions and interior layer of the outer wall and with common bricks on the exterior because even if they are not they still prove to be very you know great for for finishing surfaces for age very well they are also again not expensive and they relate to to the city, you know, to the other construction, everybody ends up using this. So in this case, we, we thought, okay, we, we have to go with this. And we tried to came up with, with, with an idea that, again, looking at the brick as, as a veneer, as a, as, a, as a covering, and this is a very low budget project. So we, we used the, the cheapest bricks that we can get here they're not they're very imperfect in a way or was kind of imperfect too so we try to make the most out of the imperfection that's why we split them in half and that's why we decided to expose this broken texture in in order to to make the most out of the imperfection i I would say you know instead of trying to achieve a very perfect brick exposed wall we, we 
try to go the opposite way without spending more material. We split them in half and use the broken half. It was also nice to to be able to see the interior of the bricks with their, their, their very different conditions in terms of color, how, how, is the, how are they cooked more or less, they are darker or lighter. So this gives the building a very, um, it's very familiar because it's bricks and everybody knows, but it's, it's very unfamiliar in a way because there are not too many projects that, that use bricks like this. No, it's, it's, the effect is absolutely stunning. Diego, you have spoken nearly all around the world. You've lectured all around the world. Your work has been showcased in numerous places around the world. What do you see as the key challenge for architects in the next couple of years? Well, I think at least, I don't know in the rest of the world, because I haven't been that maybe I travel a little bit, but I, I don't know the problems here. Still, we still have a very big housing problem. We couldn't really solve that everybody, every citizen has a decent house. There's still many people who live in slums in a way, very, very poorly. I think that's a big, big thing that architecture needs to tackle. It was the big challenge of the modern movement, I would say, in, in many places. And the modern movement really took that problem as a thing and, and they proposed solutions. Now, I don't see that preoccupation very much in, in the discipline, but I think we, we still have, at least in Argentina, still have to look back at that problem, how to come up with strategies that are, you know, very efficient in terms of resources and can give the best possible solution for uh, affordable housing to the um, maximum amount of people. Do you know, Diego, I... I think that a lot of Australian architects would say the same thing here in Australia, that social housing is so important. So it's fascinating. You've really filled my heart with joy this morning. And I want to say thank you so much for giving up your time to be on our podcast. We're going to end with some rapid fire questions. Reading the news, do you read it newspaper or online? I read the news online. Handwriting or typing? Handwriting. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, a pen or an e-pen? A pen. Do you like to read books or listen to audio books? I like to read books. Yes, I think if they're meant to be read, I like to read them. Me too. What's important to you, style or substance? I think both. Yep. Maybe I relate it more to matter and form. Mm -hmm. you know, more, some would say that matter is substance and form is style. True. But I think both are terribly important because uh, style or form is what makes a substance different from another in a way. How, how, how the substance is arranged. Uh, so I, I, I think matters is, or substance is important and style is important as well. Coffee or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies? I, I don't really see TV shows, so it's movies. Antique or modern? Everything. I, I don't have any preference. <laughs> Do you call or text? I text. 
if you had the choice, would you travel back in time or into the future? <laughs> back in time. Exterior or interior? Well, I think both. I think both. I think they, I love the interior and I love the exterior. And I, I like them separately. Video games or board games? I love them, yes, board games. Okay. You have maybe already answered this, but form or function? No, I haven't answered this. I, I think I hear it say form. For me, yeah. form is an important function. Everything can work in many places. You know, there are all factors that are used as housing or as schools. I think form and structure is more important. In relation to design, the final question, complex or simple? Design, I think it has to look simple through a complex process. Diego, this has been just an absolute thrill and it's been very energising to speak with you. And I'm fortunate because I'm looking at what you've built, which are just some absolutely scintillating and stunning brick buildings but also a lot of your other design work. And really thank you so much for giving up your evening to speak to us today on our podcast. Thank you, Elizabeth, for, for the invitation. And it was a, a real pleasure to, to share these this thoughts with you. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.